Informed Dissent, the intersection of healthcare and politics, with Dr. Jeff Barkey, board-certified primary care physician, and Dr. Mark McDonald, board-certified child, adolescent, and adult psychiatrist. This evening, we have Dr. Chris Rake, anesthesiologist at UCLA, and very powerful proponent of medical freedom who is going to tell his story about what's happened to him just in the last few days at UCLA as he stands up for his rights. Please join us. Mark, great to be with you again. And uh, you've all seen his video clip of uh, Dr. Rake being escorted off the grounds of UCLA. And uh, I look forward to him sharing his story, very dynamic and very courageous story. And hopefully it will give all of us more courage and more energy to continue this fight for medical freedom. And uh, I know you don't, you don't know us. Uh, my name is Dr. Jeff Barkey. I'm a board certified primary care physician. I practice in Orange County. And uh, Mark McDonald is a psychiatrist who practices in your neck of the woods in, in Los Angeles area, West LA. And uh, he and I have known each other for a while. We're both members of America's Frontline Doctors. And uh, we started a podcast a while back, and your name obviously came on, came up in the media as a liberty freedom fighting uh, physician. And uh, we're honored just to be able to have you share your story and have us talk to you for a few minutes. Well, gosh, I'm honored <clears throat> to have to, to, to be in the presence of such great warriors for freedom myself. You know, uh, Jeff, you were actually uh, live streamed into a meeting that I had at Godspeak. That was my group, Cuff. Oh, gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. I yeah. Don't know if you were able to see my, my presentation, but um, that's kind of where I, I laid everything out about how I think we are in a totalitarian moment. This is a movement towards tyranny. And that's why I decided I, we have to stand up. You know, we're, we're too late to the fight, but I believe uh, that even at this late hour, we can still have an impact and we, we can still turn this ship around. I think there's enough of us uh, that are on the, on the team for liberty that we can actually turn this thing around. It only took 3% three, 3% of people in 1776. Well, I've heard estimates between 3% and 11% to fight the British Navy and, and army. That was the biggest uh, army and Navy in the world. I mean, it, you know, 3% of some colonists, some little rebellious colonists that had in their mind that they, that they were going to die for this cause of freedom. And so I was just intent to, you know, if you want me to back up to the beginning, I could tell you my story. Um, yeah, I would. I would like that. Actually, we've got a uh, an audience that I know uh, will be very interested in in hearing, as Mark and I, of course, will. We've heard heard it through the media, but tell us how this all started. We're actually traveling down to uh, meet Fox News at seven, and we might be be late for that. But um, yeah, so August fifth. When this mandate came out, well, let me back up even before that. August 4th, I was on a, on a hike at Crater Lake up in, in Oregon, and a bunch of butterflies were flying around me. And I've always taken that as the Lord speaking to me. And it's a long story why, but, but basically um, I said, well, God, what are you trying to say to me? And then there was a man down in the parking lot that, whose car had broken down, so I prayed for him. I said, maybe you want me to pray for him. And two minutes later, that man comes by. I said, hey, I was just praying for you. And he said, oh, yeah, well, it must have worked because my brakes are working again. And I said, well, that's great. <laughs> so then, uh, then the next day, August 5th, 
I got news when we came back into cell service that this mandate for California Department of, from California Department of Public Health came down to say that all healthcare workers in California and, and state uh, employees had to be vaccinated or lose their job. And I took that as a personal affront. Here's a doctor, Dr. Tomas Aragon, telling me that he knows what's better for me and my body. And, and he's coming against my ability to, to earn a living. You know, I've done this for 17 years now. And now he's going to say, you either take this the jab or we take your job. You can't work. You can't put food on the table. You can't provide an education to your children. So I took it as a very personal offense from another physician. And, and it really irked me that here's a physician who's violating medical ethics. You know, one of the pillars of, of medical ethics is autonomy. And we believe as ethical physicians that the patient, we can't enforce or force our will on the patient. Um, I couldn't tell a patient who's had three kids, look, you're poor. Your fourth child is going to be a burden to society. I can't tolerate you having a fourth child. I'm going to give you a BTL, a bilateral tubal ligation. That would be unconscionable. And yet somehow we're accepting that it, because we're in the middle of a pandemic, uh, some doctor who doesn't know me can tell me what's good and right for my body. And so uh, that next day, I felt like the Lord was saying, read the butterfly effect, read the butterfly effect. And long story short, it's basically a story. And if you get a chance to read it, whoever's listening, it's a great uh, book. It's, it'll only take you 15 minutes to read. Very inspiring. But it's a story about Joshua Chamberlain, um, uh, one man how one man's life can make a difference. And so I felt like the Lord was saying, wow, butterflies up at Crater Lake and the butterfly effect. And even at that time, I didn't put the two together. I had forgotten about the butterflies at Crater Lake. But a couple of days later, I went, wait, those are related. And so then I said, okay, let's get on the horn. And I had already had a texting group of about 20 people at UCLA that were fighting the flu vaccine. And we didn't understand why were they requiring the flu vaccine this year? Because in prior years, they had said, look, if you just wear a mask, you don't have to take the vaccine. And now suddenly they're saying you have to wear a mask. It, suddenly in, in the midst of universal masking, they're saying you have to take the vaccine. And we didn't quite understand why are they getting more and more stringent about this. It doesn't make any medical sense. So this group already existed. And we, we said, well, what, what are we going to call ourselves? Healthcare workers against tyranny. H-Quat didn't quite sound too good. Um, and yeah, this was, this was at UCLA. So there were about 20 doctors, uh, not doctors, 20 health professionals. I think there was just me as the, I was the only doctor at the time, uh, some scrub techs some nurses, and we were all fighting. We, we transitioned into, we decided to name the, the group CUF, Citizens United for Freedom. And then uh, we started had, having meetings, got invited to a rally August 29th. I was at Santa Monica and that, that kind of went viral. At least it got the attention of the administration and they had to come out and disavow anything I said, which really all I said is um, they called it misinformation. And all I said is they're telling me I have to take the jab or they're going to take my job. And I'm saying that's not right. And UCLA labeled that as misinformation. So um, then uh, I talked to my administration and I told them, look, I told Dr. Kennison from who is the, the head, the chair of the department of anesthesiology. I said, this is unethical. This whole thing, it's immoral. Um, this is still EUA. There is no fully approved vaccine in the United States. And so it violates, violates Title 21, uh, Section 360 BBB. You cannot force somebody to take an EUA treatment. It's a violation of federal law. It's a violation of the Constitution. It's a violation of the Fourth Amendment. 
uh, of equal protection of due process. The Fourth Amendment says the people have the right to be secure in their persons. And I went on down the line, violation of California civil rights, violation of medical ethics, autonomy, violation of the Nuremberg Code. I told them this one. I said, you know, doctors were put to death in the Nuremberg trials because they said they were just following orders. And the judges in the trial said, that is not a valid excuse, that every human being has a duty to uphold human rights. And so those doctors who said they were just following orders were just executed, just like the rest. And I said, are you going to stand with me on the side of medical freedom? Are you going to stand by my choice to choose for myself? And he said, you know, I'm just, I have, it's the policy. I'm following policy. I said, you are the chair of the most, one of the, one of the biggest and best anesthesiology departments in the country, if not the world. I said, you have the power. Well, you know, it's policy. We can't change policy. I said, that's exactly what the Nazi doctors said. And of um, course, you're, you're referring to UCLA uh, as yeah. far as your anesthesia department. Correct. Yeah. So they knew my position. Now, part of my position is I'm, I didn't even file, file for a religious exemption. I'm a Christian. I believe that the Bible uh, prohibits what, what they want to do. But I thought it's not right. It's not fair for me to take this exemption when other people can't. I think there's a higher exemption even. I think it's a human rights exemption and, and a constitutional exemption. So I was trying to find a way that I could fight this constitutionally and legally, but there just aren't enough lawyers around and, and it wouldn't, I wouldn't have had time to do it. So I, I kind of got myself out of the exemption camp. And one of the reasons was that I thought it's when, when you sign that exemption, you may think that you are exercising your religious liberties, but you're actually agreeing with the totalitarian lie that the government has some sort of authority over your body. You sign that form, what are you doing? You're asking permission to another entity about what to do with your body, right? And so it's, I, I make the analogy, if somebody's coming to punch me in the face, I don't say, oh, excuse me, sir, um, can I please be exempt from your face punching of me? No. I say, no, you can't touch me. Get your hands off me. I'm going to sue you if you touch me, right? And so um, I, I didn't like the religious exemption for those two reasons. One, because I, I didn't feel right as a Christian leaving non-Christians behind. The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. It doesn't say, for God so loved the Christians, that he gave his only begotten son. So Jesus loves everybody. So I'm standing with everybody. I'm standing with the atheists, with the medically exempt, the non-medically exempt, everyone that can't take an exemption and just on pure human rights and constitutional rights. But that left me with really no options except to say, please, uh, please uphold dignity, uphold me medical ethics. And so come August or October 1st, which was the deadline, by September 30th, we were all supposed to be double vaccinated, have both shots. Um, I came, I wasn't scheduled, but I came into work anyways, because I just wanted to make sure sometimes they play tricks. And, uh, you know, so I showed up and um, fair enough, uh, sure enough, they actually did need me. They called me and said, hey, Dr. Rake, we need you to come to the OR. We had somebody calling sick. And I thought, wow, this is great. I felt better that day than I've felt at UCLA in a long time. I've been fighting a lot of battles there with just a lot of the nonsense, including the flu vaccine. And it felt like I was free to finally take care of the patients again, without the politics, without, without the harassment. 
And I thought, wow, maybe they've moved on. Maybe they've lifted this whole thing. Maybe they're going to move past this policy and realize that it's unethical and illegal and immoral. Well, that day while I was working in the OR and very happy that I was working, I got an email that said, you are on administrative leave. So I wrote back and I said, what does that mean? Nobody got back to me. So Monday I went into work and I said, um, I'm here ready to work. And the scheduler said, what are you doing? I thought you were on administrative leave. I said, yeah, but I was here on October 1st, the day after the mandate kicked in and, I, and they got me work then too. And so I just wanted to make sure. And he said, well, I'm pretty sure you're not supposed to be here. And the next thing you know, or the next thing I knew, um, Maxime Cannison, my the chair of my department and two security personnel showed up and you, the rest is pretty much history. You saw the, if you saw the video. Well, thanks for sharing your story. Um, yeah. where, where do you take this now? You mentioned uh, suing. Uh, is there a lawsuit that you're going to file against UCLA for vi- violating your rights? Well, I'm not sure I want to re- reveal all the, the legal strategy. I, I hate to, to not disclose it because I want to share it with people, but it may, it, it may not uh, benefit me in the long run. So I'm gonna, we're going to try one medical, one legal strategy. Uh, they got away with this last year because we didn't know our rights. Well, now we're, we're learning our rights and we're learning the law. And we're standing up and saying no. And, and my group is saying, we just say no to everything. Testing, vac- uh, vaccination, masking, distancing, no to all of that. It's time to start saying no. So first things first, we file an EEOC complaint. And then depending on where that goes, we file a federal lawsuit. And there's a, uh, there's a few people that have already lined up at UCLA to do this. Obviously, I'm sure this must be difficult for you. You're on administrative leave. I imagine yeah. you're no longer getting a paycheck. You have right. legal bills. You have a family to support. How can people help you? Do you have a mechanism by which God either people you. can donate or people can yeah. support you? Or how, how are you, how are you, uh, you so reaching out asking. and how can, yeah. how can we help and our, our audience help? Yeah, you're amazing. Uh, it's uh, yeah. If you go to cuffusa.org, that's c u f f u s a dot org. Uh, that cuff stands for Citizens United for Freedom. Cuffusa.org, and you go to help out. If if you go to the little menu tab at the top right, um, there's a help out, and then you can say you can click on the give a donation. And yeah, I've been. Uh, so touched by all the well wishes and, and the gratitude and people saying we're so, so thankful that the doctor is finally standing up. Um, but and some people have donated. So that's really helped. It's really, really helped. So I just want to say thank you so much to all of you who have. Of course. And uh, I'll, I'll be going on there later and donating for sure. Bless you know, you, listen, I, I know what it's like. You know, Mark and I are accused of, of many things. Uh, some people call us courageous, but even though you're speaking out and, and perhaps doing courageous things, it still hurts um, and it affects you personally. And uh, how, how has this affected yep. you so far? The first person through difficult times already that the Lord's been walking me through at UCLA, I was praying for patients and they threatened to fire me. They brought me before six different committees. I was seeing people get miraculously healed of things. Um, and they threatened to fire me and I finally just kind of kept it on the down low. Uh, but that was really tough. That was difficult. Um, and I stood up to the school at my kids' school. That was really a challenge. They were doing some meditation things I didn't agree with. I thought, I think it's a religious practice. I didn't want my kids to be involved in that. And there were some Jewish p- kids at the school. The parents agreed with, with my position as well. Um, 
so for me, I'm, I've been, it's like, God's been training me to go through this. I didn't realize that that's what he was doing through all that. I mean, I, I had some really serious times where I was on the floor, like just anxious and crying out to God, like what's going on. How, do I make it stop? How do you make it stop? And um, so that built up my inner strength. Um, so I've had that, but my wife has not had that. And so um, she is an amazing, amazing woman. And, but now she's having to have people at her workplace. She's a, a PICU doctor at, at CHLA that are, you know, saying certain things to her. I don't even know what, I don't think she tells me all of it. Um, but I, it's not easy for her. She feels like the world is coming down, crashing down on her. Now her husband is front page news on the Drudge Report, MSN.com and all these places. So for me, I, I've already been through a couple little mini episodes of this kind of thing. So I've been trained that, that it gets better, right? That this is not the end of the world, even though it feels like the end of the world. Um, but it's, it's been tough, you know, for her. And I, I just, uh, I, I know we'll get through it. Um, but, uh, and, I, and I know that, that God's going to get us through this financially. You know, as a Christian, I, I, if I believe that Jesus died on the cross for me and he gave his life for me and he, he died for my freedom, how can I think that he would suddenly leave me when I stand up and lose a job for that freedom, right? If he gave his life for my freedom, why would he leave me if I am willing to sacrifice a job for that same freedom? So uh, that's where I get my strength from. And, and, and also just the idea that, you know, he was brutally tortured and they, they punched him. And in Isaiah 53, I think it says he was marred or maybe 52. He was marred beyond any, any recognition. And I think about how he got to the bottom of Calvary and he fainted. His body gave out. And I would have said at that point, Father, I'm done. These insolent, arrogant, rebellious people, they're, they, you know, they're just being so mean. And <laughs> I would have said my body's given out physically. I can't go anymore. But a man named Simon of Cyrene showed up and Jesus said, I I have to get to the top of that hill or I'm not going to see Chris for all eternity. I love him so much that I have to get to the top of that hill. So even if I can't physically do it, somebody has got to carry this cross. And I think about that and I go, wow, even when his body gave out, he still had to go. And, and so that gives me great courage. If he was willing to go through that suffering, that pain, uh, man, I, I just love him. And I, I just, I say, okay, God, if you're that strong for freedom, I'm with you. And I know you're not going to, you're not going to let me go. So that's a long, long answer to your, to your short question, but that's where I get my strength from my faith and, and, and prior trials. Chris, I know a lot of people around the country. I have a good friend in uh, Milwaukee that I was actually in med school with, who's an anesthesiologist. And I was speaking to him a couple of days about you and he sucked in his breath. And he said, you know, if I even discussed what we're talking about right now on the phone in the OR, he said, I'd be fired on the spot, just discussed it. So I'm wondering if at UCLA, which I consider an intellectual wasteland and I have for years now, Fine. the university itself. Um, and I was trained there in my fellowship program. And, and I, that was 10, 12 years ago, and it was already going downhill in terms of its intellectual honesty and courage. I'm wondering, uh, are there anyone else around uh, like you in the department and anesthesia or in the, the hospital itself? Or are you basically on your own in this, uh, in this battle? That's a good question. Yeah. I, uh, initially I was on my own until I became a little bit more public. There are maybe a couple people in my department that are like your, your friend, a little afraid to say anything. Um, 
there are, there are, I would say probably 10 to 20 doctors throughout the hospital system that are on my side. And I've, I've tied in with them. Um, but we're kind of few and far between, sadly enough. I mean, even if you, my contention is, look, even if this shot took away 100% of disease, as Americans, we know how exceptional America is and that it was built upon the foundation that our rights come from God and they have to be protected against governments. It was such a radical idea at the time because, you know, rights at that time were thought to come from governments. Whatever the government said you had, could do, you could do. But our founding fathers said no. And Benjamin Rush said that, that we need to put into the, the Bill of Rights, not just freedom of religion, not just free, freedom of the press um, and freedom to assemble peaceably and freedom of, uh, of arms, but freedom of medicine. Because he saw this, he foresaw this medical tyranny coming down and he advocated for that. And I think one of the things I'm going to push for is that is an amendment to the Constitution that, uh, of medical freedom. Um, and so people like your friend don't have to be scared in the OR. And, and I know that feeling. But a lot of times what I'm realizing is that those fears are unfounded. They're, they're lies from the enemy. I believe there's a spiritual enemy of mankind and he's constantly lying to us. And you can shut your ears to that. and You can say, I don't believe that. Um, and most of the time it is lies. You know, you're going to lose your job if you just talk about it. Um, you know, and one, one thing I tell my kids is, look, courage is not the absence of fear. It's doing the right thing in the presence of fear. If it didn't cause fear, it wouldn't require courage, right? I mean, if tying your shoelaces requires no courage, nobody says, oh, you're a courageous guy, you tied your shoelaces. Well, no, you know, I did crossing the street, right? It, 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 it requires courage when it causes fear. So when you're fearful and you do the right thing, that's courage. That's it. You don't have to have a steady voice. You can have a shaky voice. You can have your hands shaking. When I was walking out of that building, my legs were shaking so terribly that I could barely get down the stairs. That was the weirdest sensation. I couldn't, couldn't it, it was just so strange. Um, so yeah, you know, a lot of, a lot of the, it, the problem now is we all live by fear, right? We let fear dictate our lives in 2020 fear of a disease that has a 99.5% survivability if you're under age 70. And so uh, that's the CDC's own numbers. And, and fear by, you know, ivermectin in prophylaxis can decrease deaths by 86%. Look what happened in the Uttar Pradesh uh, state of India. You know, you have zero to two deaths per day in a, a population of 240 million people. So it's just, we, we let fear do all these things. And, and fear speaks louder. The, the opposite, the antithesis and the cure for fear is faith. If you have faith in God and faith that he won't leave you, it's kind of hard to have fear and vice versa. You can't, you can't have two at the same time. But it, it's so, so, so Chris, it sounds like what you're saying is, and I've been writing about this and speaking about this for over a year and a half. I'm even writing a book, which is coming out next month called the pandemic of fear, because I think that fear yeah. is the driving force, the fuel really of this vehicle, yep. which I see as a vehicle of control. It sounds like what, what you're experiencing and what you're saying is that there are people who agree with you, just like my friend in Wisconsin, but that there is a fear obstacle or a fear break on their ability, uh, or at least their perceived ability to move forward and take action, uh, which you don't suffer from. Uh, you, as you said very clearly, the, the act of courage is, is not to be fearless, it's to actually act in spite of the fear. And if more people were willing to do that, then we would actually overcome this, uh, this 
clamp down on our rights and our and our our, our liberties. Uh, do you see it that that way as well? Absolutely, and that's that's why I said I stand with everybody on October first. I'm not going to take the religious exemption. One one reason is because I knew they were going to take it away. If they can give you an exemption, they can take it away. But the other one was because I wanted to to get together a, enough people. I was hoping to inspire enough people to join this movement where they can say, wait, that Christian's not taking a religious exemption. He's putting everything on the line to stand with atheists. That's weird. Maybe I should listen to what he has to say. And, and you know, sure enough, the, the day after I made that claim that they're just going to take away the religious exemption, that was on August 29th, and, and the liberal media called me a conspiracy theorist. On August 30th, LifeSite News came out and said, uh, 450,000 religious exemptions in New York state are being revoked. And so I was dead on in my instincts. And, and exactly you're right, that we, we have to, you know, courage begets courage. So hopefully I'm inspiring a couple people to say, hey, you know what, man, that guy's willing to lay everything down. He's right. I, I think we're going to lose this freedom thing if we don't stand up, if we're not lo- willing to lose. And my, my philosophy was, they're coming for everything anyways. Dr. Aragon is coming for my, my job, my career that I love. I love treating patients. I love making them, them feel better um, and, and getting them through their surgery safely. I love the physiology of it. love the challenge of it. Um, they're taking away the money that I can use to put food on the table and a car and a house and all these things, right? And so I said, look, you want to come for these things? I'm going to give them to you. You want them? I'm going to put them on the, the altar of, uh, of sacrifice for the altar of freedom. And then we'll see what happens, right? You're going to take them anyways. I know they're going to take them. So why don't I be willing to say, look, if everyone took this one step and said, let's lay everything down, none of us would have to, right? If everyone were acting like Chris Rake right now, and I'm not holding myself up, I'm just saying, if everyone were willing to put their job, their house, their car, their money, the food on the table, and their life on the line, nobody would have to. Right. If we were all willing to sacrifice those things and let's say 90 percent of people stood up and said, no, I'm not coming to work. The airlines would shut down. The hospitals would shut down grocery stores. Suddenly they would they would have an onslaught of, of anger and, and outrage. And, and so, yeah, exactly. You're right that we if enough people and again, like I said before, it only takes maybe three percent, maybe 10 percent to change the culture. Margaret Mead said, um, don't underestimate something. I'm paraphrasing, but that a group of small, devoted, committed people can change the world. Indeed, it's the only thing that ever has. And I think one of the key words in there is committed. We have to stay committed. It's easy to get um, down, get down and and get under the weather with this thing. I know I have, you know, I've got zero money coming in, except for some of the donations. Thank you guys. Um, But it's really easy to get. And this is their point. This is what they're trying to do. They want to wear you down just bit by bit, cut by cuts, death by a thousand cuts. But we're going to stand up and say, no, I have, an, I, have, I have faith in the American people. I have faith in the idea of America. It's the only country that's not just the land, but it's an idea. It's an, and it's an ideal. So I have faith that we're going to turn this thing around. Well, listen, uh, Chris, uh, it's awesome that you'd spend a few minutes with us. Um, I think you have a career as a preacher if the career as a uh, physician doesn't quite work out. <laughs> and you. I know I'm, I'm certainly inspired by your words and 
makes me want to speak out even more forcefully and encourage others to do the same. And I sure hope your message gets spread wide and far. And I know you're on your way to speak to some folks at Fox, and I hope other media outlets carry your voice. I know we will, and we'll distribute this uh, this podcast as widely as we possibly can. And of course, we're always available to you if you want to come back and continue to share your story. Well, thank you guys so much for listening. And would it be okay if I said a prayer over your audience? I just like to end every meeting in a prayer. Oh, please do. Yeah, Father, I just thank you so much for uh, these men of courage standing up to do what is right, to seek the truth, to to protect it, to defend it with their their very careers. I bless them, Lord. Would you just protect their families and their homes where they where they live? And everyone else that's listening to this podcast, may you bring an extra blessing on them. Thank you for these men and what they're doing. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Chris. Amen. And good good luck on uh, Laura Ingram. And Thank you uh, so much. safe travels. And uh, we'll reach out and stay in touch and hopefully okay. get the donations coming in as well. Amen. CuffUSA.org. CuffUSA.org. C-U-F-F-U-S-A.org. Great. Go to the help out. Thank you so much and safe travels. God bless you. Thanks, Chris. You've been listening to Informed Dissent with Dr. Jeff Barkey, board-certified primary care physician, and Dr. Mark McDonald, board-certified child, adolescent, and adult psychiatrist. Informed Dissent, the intersection of healthcare and politics.